0: Good morning. It's Friday, October 16th. I'm Shamita Basu.
1: And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them.
0: Last night, instead of meeting for their second debate, Donald Trump and Joe Biden were in the spotlight in two competing town halls on network TV.
1: On NBC, President Trump sat down with Savannah Guthrie, she pressed him on QAnon. She asked him if he would disavow this conspiracy theory that claims Democrats are devil worshippers and pedophiles, and that Trump alone can save the country. Multiple times, Trump refused to disavow the movement, claiming he didn't know anything about it.
0: Let me just tell you what I do hear about it is they are very strongly against pedophilia, and I agree with that. I mean, I do agree okay. with that, and I agree but with. But there's it not a strongly. satanic uh, pedophile. I have called no they idea. I know you nothing don't know about that. It. Okay. No, I don't know. You just it was
1: a combative hour. Guthrie moved quickly. She peppered Trump with questions about his taxes and his handling of the pandemic.
0: On ABC, Joe Biden gave a measured performance long answers that were grounded in policy. And he frequently cited his experiences in Congress and in the White House. George Stephanopoulos put him on the spot again to answer the question of whether he would expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court. And Biden responded by saying he wasn't a fan of the idea, but he also pledged to make it clear what his position is on this before Election Day. Biden was also asked about the 1994 crime bill, one of his more contentious pieces of legislation. An
1: awful lot of people were jailed for minor drug crimes after the... Exactly right. Was it a mistake to support it?
0: Yes, it was. But here's here's where the mistake... For
1: a full roundup of coverage from last night's town halls, check out our spotlight collection over at Apple News. All over the country, there are people who have already cast their ballots, whether that's in person or through the mail. It's record-breaking. And it also says a lot about the enthusiasm for this election.
0: According to the U.S. Elections Project, which is run out of the University of Florida, as of this morning, nearly 20 million Americans have already cast their ballots. As The Washington Post notes, in North Carolina, nearly 20 percent of people who voted by mail didn't vote in the last election. In Michigan, we've already seen more than a million people come out and vote. And to put that in perspective, that's about a quarter of the state's turnout in the 2016 election.
1: And people are so eager to vote, they're standing in line for hours. Georgia kicked off early in-person voting on Monday. In Gwyneth County, where a lot of African Americans live, reports indicate... Voters are waiting as long as eight hours, Mm. and on Tuesday and Wednesday, the situation was better, but not by much. One cause of the delay was apparently the check-in computer systems. It reportedly couldn't handle the volume of voters. The Georgia Secretary of State's office said it's addressing the issue, and yesterday, wait times were about under an hour.
0: Now, admittedly, there's no easy way to compare the numbers we're seeing at this point in this election to this point in the 2016 election. It's a completely different beast, right? There are more ways to vote early and absentee this time because of the pandemic. And BuzzFeed News is careful to offer theories, but it says the numbers we're seeing now are a sign that maybe voter enthusiasm is at a level that we haven't seen recently.
1: So here's what's important to know. We can tell that people are voting early, but what we can't say for sure is who might be benefiting from the bump in early voting. The Washington Post looked at trends in six states so far, Florida, Iowa, Maine, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, and it concludes, Democrats have already outvoted Republicans by a margin of 2 to 1. But that doesn't mean Trump voters are not enthusiastic. See, according to a Washington Post ABC poll, a majority of Democrats plan to vote early, while a majority of Trump supporters plan to vote on Election Day.
0: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, was once the gold standard of public health. When the world faced a global health crisis from smallpox to polio to Ebola, the CDC took the lead on establishing best practices – But now, with more than 216,000 people in the U.S. dead from COVID-19, the agency has lost its footing, and it's lost much of the public's confidence in the process. ProPublica calls this year potentially the darkest moment in the agency's 74-year history.
1: Reporters at ProPublica obtained hundreds of emails along with internal agency documents. They interviewed more than 30 CDC employees and Trump administration officials. Its investigation not only chronicles early mistakes in the center's handling of the pandemic, but also examines how politics is apparently superseding science at the agency.
0: The ProPublica tells a story about Dr. Jay Butler, the deputy director for infectious diseases at the CDC. And as Memorial Day weekend was approaching, his team came up with guidance for Americans about how to safely worship that Sunday. Remember, the president wanted churches to reopen for the holiday weekend.
1: But Shamita, at the last minute, Dr. Butler received edits from the White House. Some of those edits conflicted with the CDC's own research, so Butler's team didn't include them in the final version. He didn't want to give bad information, but then he got a furious call from the office of the vice president demanding all of the White House's edits be included.
0: Fifteen minutes after that phone call, the agency's guidelines were replaced with the White House version, according to ProPublica. That version removed a line that discouraged choirs during Memorial Day services, something that the CDC had worried would spread the virus. When that Sunday of Memorial Day arrived, ProPublica reported that Butler sent an email to some of his colleagues and he wrote, quote, I am very troubled on this Sunday morning that there will be people who will get sick and perhaps die because of what we were forced to do.
1: This article contains so many examples like this. ProPublica reports, though many senior CDC staff tried to release accurate and science-driven information, they often just gave in to what administration officials wanted. Many reportedly felt if they spoke out, they'd have to leave the agency and even more damage would be done.
0: Jacinda Ardern has become a political star, not just in New Zealand, but around the world. There is huge uncertainty out there right now. But one thing I'm certain of, we are a nation that has been shaped because of our experiences and they often have been tough, harsh and unpredictable.
1: She's the youngest woman to be elected Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's been in office for about three years now and people around the world are praising her for how she's handled multiple crises, including the pandemic. Now, while every death is horrible, just 25 people in New Zealand died of COVID. She's now poised to make history again. If she wins a second term, she could lead her party to an outright majority in parliament.
0: A little New Zealand Politics 101 for you. There are five political parties represented in New Zealand's parliament. Ardern is with the Labour Party. Her strongest challenger is with the National Party. Now, for the past 25 years, no single party has won the majority of the votes. And so the government has been made up of a coalition between two or more parties, But in this year's election, which is tomorrow, it's possible that the Labour Party will get more than 50 percent of the votes. And that would allow them to form a majority government.
1: CNN looks at how Jacinda Ardern has blazed a pretty fast and bright trail in politics. She grew up in a small town in the north called Morrinsville. Lots of dairy farmers in the region and lots of National Party supporters there who are considered center-right and pro-industry. But Ardern's politics lean left. When she was just 18 years old, she moved to the capital, Wellington, and joined the Labour Party and became the youngest sitting member of parliament when she was just 28 years old.
0: And it's hard to understate how popular she is. One political commentator in New Zealand told CNN that she's able to connect with people in ways that feel genuine. He said she's seen as every voter's sister or best friend or mother or girlfriend. And that empathetic communication style has been one of her strongest tools during the many crises that she's faced while in charge. The racist shooting massacre in Christchurch, where one person killed 51 Muslim people. A volcanic eruption at a popular tourist destination that took 21 lives. And of course now, the pandemic.
1: CNN points out, sure, she's got her detractors too. Plenty of people in New Zealand are critical of her spending. New Zealand has taken on more public debt this year to cope with the economic fallout from the pandemic. And supporters of opposing parties say Arden has not articulated a plan to get the country out of the red.
0: But CNN notes, unlike in the U.S., where politics has become increasingly polarized, the people who don't plan to vote for Arden still have plenty of positive things to say about her. One farmer in her hometown of Morensville, who doesn't even plan to vote for her tomorrow in the election, told CNN that he finds her charismatic, intelligent and a pretty special person.
1: This year has been so tough, right? Everything it might be so bad, it just can't be real? Well, if you do, you're not the only one.
0: Okay, let me explain this one. There is an old thought experiment that philosophers and scientists have been knocking around for a while now, and it basically goes like this. As our technology gets better and our computing power grows more sophisticated each year, experts think it's only a matter of time before we have a processor that's big enough and fast enough to mimic a map of the human brain, essentially synthetic consciousness. But here's the thing, and Scientific American has a great article about this. If humans wind up creating a simulated brain in a simulated world, it opens up this question, is there a chance we could be living in a simulated universe of our own?
1: Scientific American explains there is a chance, and it could come down to a Coin flip. Recently, an astronomer at Columbia University, David Kipping, used a formula to calculate the probability that you're living in a fake world. Yes, that's right. A fake world. And he says it's about a 50-50 chance. Plus, if someone in our universe ever does wind up creating a virtual world populated by virtual brains then that chance goes up even higher.
0: But even Kipping admits there's really no way to prove this. So if you apply Occam's razor, which basically says that without evidence, the simplest answer is most likely to be the right one, this might just be real life after all.
1: You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app.
0: We'll talk with you again on Monday.